welcome to Future is Awesome podcast. And it's been a long time. Um, so happy new year. We're still in January, so I can say that. We have special guest today. Uh, his name is Valentino Megale, and he is someone who is definitely in the forefront in innovation using VR to help patients in healthcare. So, Valentino. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, so and welcome, everyone. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Joan. <laughs> Could you tell the audience what is that you do? All right. Okay. So, um, I started as a biologist. I have a PhD in neuropharmacology. So I'm, I'm basically started with, with the scientific research and um, with all my colleagues, with my team, since uh, 2016, we started a digital health startup, which is called uh, Softcare Studios. So we are basically applying digital technologies like virtual reality and artificial intelligence to support patients in the hospitals. Um, in particular, we are using virtual reality to provide psychological support to patients during the stress induced by therapy and medical treatments. And with our first project called Tommy, uh, our focus is to help pediatric patients. So children facing the challenges of therapy, children facing the challenges of uh, cancer therapy, especially cancer therapy. And virtual reality is for us a tool allowing children go beyond the walls of the hospital uh, even if they cannot go beyond because they are forced to stay in the hospitals during during therapy because of the disease so virtual reality is a tool allowing their mind to to wander and their mind to to explore new experiences even if they are forced to stay always in the same place this is a very great tool because Disease and therapy is not only clinical needs, is not only drugs, is not only medical treatments, but it's also psychological and emotional well-being. So for us and for our patients, it's very important to take care of this aspect of patients' life through digital technologies. So I met Valentino for the audience um, while I was a biodesign fellow at Texas Medical Center. Um, and my last company was kind of in a similar space where we were using VR to help patients during invasive procedure um, to you know, maintain and their calm and uh, manage their anxiety. So how was your experience um, coming to America and being involved in startup scene? Yeah, so we are an Italian-based startup. We are now based not only in Italy, but also in Denmark. So we are covering... Uh, South and North Europe, and coming to, to the U.S. during the TMCX program last year was definitely an amazing experience uh, because technology and its implementation in the uh, in health sector, in the health field, uh, is following definitely a different path and a different uh, speed in the U.S. respect to Europe. I think that uh, health facilities, hospitals, clinics in, in the U.S. Um, are more prepared to face the challenges of digital technology. They are really working. Obviously, the Texas Medical Center in Houston is, is the biggest medical center in the world. So technology is a routine. Innovation is the main goal every, every day. So for us, it was a very good opportunity 
to meet the decision makers and to visit facilities that, that, that are making future available to everyone every day. We have been where future is built. And we learned a lot. We learned how uh, future can, became, can become real, how uh, an idea becomes a product and how a product becomes um, also a business. So something that is sustainable in time. It's not only profit. No, it's, some, it's, it's all about sustainability. And um, we, we definitely learned how to link this sustainability with the real needs of patients because all these solutions are built around patients' needs. Also, our solutions is built around patients' needs. Patients are the first core of every health technology. You were in a right place where there was a lot of acceptance in the, in the hospitals wanting that innovation and change. What are the biggest challenges that you face right now? So I, I think, first of all, uh, education. I think that um, education is very needed, uh, both to patients and both to doctors everywhere. So um, all people involved in the healthcare sector needs to, uh, to update all their knowledge about uh, digital technologies, their impact beyond the entertainment sector, because, for example, virtual reality is known to, to almost to everyone as an entertainment technology. But we definitely need to understand what is the impact of such technologies. So if, if I would have a, a, a wand, a magic wand, I would like to, to wish, no, <laughs> I would wish for a better education about the impact of these technologies because from the education, thanks to education, everything is possible. So education is in how the virtual reality uh, technology can be used and not just only in entertainment, but also in, in healthcare. Exactly, exactly. More knowledge, more knowledge, a deeper knowledge about tools, a deeper knowledge about how virtual reality, for example, is able to impact our psychology, mm -hmm. a deeper knowledge about how virtual reality, even if it is a digital tool, can improve healthcare and therapy outcomes for patients. Well, because. definitely the applications like uh, yours can mm -hmm. uh, be in the hands of patients who have never been exposed to VR and having them try it firsthand, that will probably change their opinion about what VR is capable of. Have you, do you have some stories that you can tell the audience of what was it like to put on the headset onto the young patients? Absolutely. Um, we are now testing uh, our project, Tommy, in, um, in two hospitals in Italy, in two pediatric hospitals. And in one of these hospitals in Turin, in the north of Italy, um, we are using Tommy weekly. So we are providing Tommy to the children hospitalized or, uh, or visiting the hospital for a daily visit. And the great satisfaction that we had is that Tommy is really good, very well perceived by patients and also by their parents because we involve both parents and their, and their children. And even the most critical, the most introvert, the most um, closed patients that normally uh, experience a very great trauma during therapy and they close to the world because the hospital routine invades their life. So even 
those patients when experienced Tommy, when experienced a virtual reality, when experienced a digital scenario, they finally found again a sort of sensorial uh, privacy. So basically, uh, finally they could visit a digital scenario that was only their own with nobody in that place. So it was their magical place. Mm -hmm. And they really relaxed. They opened. They, uh, they came again to, to, to smile and to, to discuss with their parents, with their friends. They really opened their emotional world uh, again to, to their parents and to the other, also to doctors. So virtual reality is really able to bridge our psychological and emotional needs with the real world. It's not a screen. We, we don't want to use virtual reality as a screen. We don't want to use virtual reality as a sort of wall limiting you know, the perception of patients. We want to use it as a sort of window bridging uh, what they need and what they can do in their real life. So it's something, it's a digital tool to reconnect patients with their emotional needs. And we saw it is possible. Uh, just to understand clearly, your audience, the product's users, are mm -hmm. the young patients who are struggling and going through some emotional, like, I guess, a fear and anxiety and yeah. maybe difficult to express their emotions to... So, Tommy is basically a video game. So we designed it as a as a game because gamification and game mechanics allow us to to better engage, to better involve, to better distract children from the negative emotions of therapy. And it is a virtual reality scenario where children can play. They can play also with their parents, and they can uh, distract from the medical routines, from anxiety from fear, from the stress they, they, they experience during medical treatments. And it is dedicated to children undergoing stressful and painful medical treatments, mainly in oncology, but also pediatric dentistry, pediatric orthopedics, or ADHD. Not autistic, because um, in case of autistic children, we would need a, a, another kind of... Um, experience design, another kind of uh, digital scenarios because their sensorial and cognitive needs are very uh, different. They are meaningfully different from just a normal child uh, which is experiencing stressful medical treatments. So I guess I could share my experience with like using VR and invasive procedures. They actually said that their pain anxiety, um, the pain level dropped up to 60%, which is pretty incredible um, yeah. data that we obtained. And these were the procedures that were, um, people were rec recording zero being no pain at all and 10 being extreme pain. Mm -hmm. They were saying the procedure was giving them about nine point out of 10 um, in terms of the pain scale. And while they were using the VR, they described it as around, you know, sometimes like five to seven, which is a huge drop in uh, pain. So there is a pain where we actually feel, but there's also perceived pain, which increases the pain level that they're actually feeling. Um, so I believe, truly believe that VR can help people to really lessen their 
the actual sensation of pain well, and because they are also able to manage their anxiety because of all the uh, visual feedback. You know, when you see a needle, when you see doctors holding some equipment, it gives you some anxiety. Whereas you are wearing the headset, you are uh, in a comfortable and pleasant environment, which they can guide you to a place where you want to be. Having experienced that firsthand, that was pretty incredible how our powerful our minds are in terms of uh, managing that pain. Yeah, these tools, I think it's pretty incredible, especially when you may not have the specialist like therapist to help you and hold your hand. Um, VR is definitely there to hold your hand. I, I, that's what I thought. Like it came out of that experience. Absolutely. Um, I could add that uh, the pioneer of uh, pain management uh, using virtual reality, Dr. Hunter Hoffman, who started this journey in the, the late 80s with the first virtual reality application dedicated to pain management. It was dedicated to people with uh, burns. Burn patients, yes, in the exactly. University of Washington. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so um, Hunter Hoffman said, when I also had the opportunity to meet him in, in Boston, he said that uh, between our perception of uh, pain and uh, the, the pain uh, stimuli, there is not only physiology, but just like you said, also psychology. There is uh, the perceptual processing of the information, which is not linearly connected with the pain stimuli, with the beginning pain stimuli. And in the most of cases, this perceptual processing of information is against the people, is against the user. So we often increase the level of pain because of anxiety, because of our fear, because of our past experiences. So we need to address also the psychology of pain using cognitive tools using tools that are able to uh, empower people to manage their emotions and better and objectively evaluate pain, not only perceive it passively. So, and virtual reality is a tool that is allowing to do this work. So I know you've been very involved in the VR aspect. Have you looked into um, augmented reality and the use case for that in uh, situations? where you're meeting patients and helping, helping them manage anxiety. What do you think that the strength, the d difference in um, VR and AR in applications like this? So in, in most of cases, we are working with virtual reality to reduce and manage the anxiety of patients. And anxiety, anxiety from the psychological point of view is basically uh, an overestimation of the danger coming from a potential stimuli. So one of the, the treatments used to, to treat patients with anxiety and with, uh, with excessive anxiety is the so-called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically focusing people in the present uh, and helping them reevaluate and recalibrate the evaluation of the future treat just understanding that they are able to cope with it and they are able to face this challenge. So in case of virtual reality, this is very useful because virtual reality increases the distraction of patients from the future and his focus in the present. And at the same time, virtual reality is really able to recreate environment when, uh, where uh, patients can be exposed 
regularly in a graduated way to a potential uh, danger. For example, phobias. You can treat phobias exposing gradually the patients to, for example, uh, spiders. No, there is a, a famous uh, experience in virtual reality. If you just use augmented reality, in case of augmented reality, you, you have still a contact with the real environment. Mm -hmm. And the level of distraction and the level of immersion in that another world is lower. Why so do I you think, think is, is, do you think it's maybe due to the fidelity of the uh, op opaqueness of the graphics that are, that are seen in their AR glass that are currently not processing it? Like in, it looks more like a holographic feel rather than um, an actual like opaque object yeah. that spider walking on your arm. Whereas in VR, it's, it's like a crystal clear, you know, whereas um, in AR, it's still lacking that technological breakthrough. Exactly. In virtual reality, you have the opportunity to um, expose the user to a coherent digital world, which is just recreating how you perceive the real world. So if you perceive something in virtual reality, your brain, it's not important about you, but your brain has the real uh, feeling to be in another realistic world with the realistic dangers that, that you can you know, uh, just learn how to face and and how to how to cope with them how to deal with them in case of augmented reality the graphics are not so realistic so you can even uh, trying to to expose the patient to specific stimuli but the brain the brain perceive it just like pictures so for for the for the brain augmented reality is still a digital fictitious element that is not so dangerous you, you need to recreate a realistic environment and okay. augmented reality is not realistic not enough so i kind of want to uh, move what if scenario because i think these are the fun conversations that we can definitely have the potential of the future of using ar and vr and what our life would be like having fully embracing this technology how it would improve and how let's say uh, 30 years all right, let's go for the brainstorming. It is now 2050. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I really believe We it. took a time machine to the future because future All is right. Awesome. <laughs> um, let's go. <laughs> and Valentino Megalith software, Tommy, is now everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's talk for example. Some kind of a device on their head. Yeah, um, exactly which I think AR and VR will eventually merge into exactly. one device, mm -hmm. uh, which will be able to do VR with a, in a fully immersive environment, whereas, you know, click a button, convert it back to AR, where you see through the real world and overlaid with uh, holographic uh, AR augmented reality elements. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I also, I, I agree, virtual reality and augmented reality will be two phases of the same technology. It will be mixed reality. Mm -hmm. um, the future devices in 30 years will be able to, to allow us to tune be among different realities. We will be able to impress digital contents and add additional informations to the real reality, but we'll be able also to skip and maybe switch to, to different digital environments when we can meet beloved ones 
when we can meet remote workers, when we can just explore our emotions and experience something that uh, we cannot experience in our daily life. So th there will be a sort of, of radio of experiences. We, we, can, we can say something about it. Uh, you know, just... uh, have you seen the movie Idiocracy? Uh, not yet. So it's kind of a satire uh, comedy movie, and they kind of predicted that everybody will be kind of like a couch potato, and they'll be uh, just sitting, and they'll basically do everything just from the couch. I think that we can be inspired by current technologies. So even current technologies, even if they are not immersive, like uh, smartphones, computers, uh, notebooks, they are everywhere and they force our work to sit all the days, for example, and produce, produce, produce. Mm -hmm. So we can say a similar thing, uh, how we can change our approach to technologies, how we can improve the activity of our life uh, using technology, a, a technology that, that forces us not to, to sit in a place. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really think that every technology from smartphones to immersive technology of future uh, just need to be contextualized. It just need to be in, in a better inserted in our life, linked to specific operations. We just need to understand when to use technology and when to detach from, from technology. Uh, today, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, Apple, everyone is just saying that, okay, technology is good, but you cannot rely on technology every second of your life. You, you just need a little bit of time, work-life balance, but we also need digital and real-life balance. This is very important. And we need to build this today with smartphones. We, we need to transfer the same new approach to every technology that will come in the future. In the future, uh, immersive technology will not be the only great challenge. Just think about BCI the brain-computer interfaces. Uh, today, we are still far away from those, but Facebook or even uh, Elon Musk, they are talking about brain-computer interfaces that are able to connect with our brain and uh, trigger experiences directly in our brain. So that will be a challenge. Mm -hmm. That will be a real challenge, and we need to address these challenges uh, in a very uh, aware way. We need to be aware of the, of the limits and of the potentialities. And we need to stimulate digital and analogic uh, life balance. This will be a, a great challenge. Yeah. And it was very interesting to hear your presentation during the um, Mars project, I guess, um, with a the Trish webinar and yeah. innovation. And that was really cool to see your approach. So I really think that VR would be an excellent entertainment and educational device for the astronauts traveling for years to go to Mars. You know, they could practically, you know, keep themselves engaged. I think that in the challenge of deep space exploration, of deep space exploration um, people and humans will come back to their origins. They will uh, become again hunters, but this, in this case, uh, hunters of uh, new planets and new places and new spaces. And uh, just like hunters in, in prehistory, um, they need to be light. They need to have only the basic uh, things that 
they can support their life and their experience, their work. So every technology needs to provide them with delocalization and remote uh, support. So virtual reality and just immersive technologies make space mobile. This is very important because thanks to virtual reality, for example, you can experience every kind of digital environment, but just moving. You can just move those spaces, those worlds everywhere. You can uh, have, uh, I, I don't know, a fantasy world or you can have a, a fitness-based world and you can do that everywhere. You can move the space with you. You can move the digital space with you. And this was, will be very important. You need to provide to space explorers with remote and localized technologies like 3D printing to move the manufacturing with them. And you need to provide virtual reality to move experiences with them because uh, they will have not a space in space, just like I said during the, the webinar. Mm -hmm. uh, have a spaceship that uh, will be the only space for a lot of months and the space uh, of another planet will not be available immediately. So they, they need to colonialize it, they, they need to, to terraform. I'm sure loneliness is one of the psychological experiences that they are experiencing. Like for a long time, being away from home, not being able to see their family and friends, um, it can probably create depression among mm -hmm. some of the astronauts. If we are able to transport them digitally and have them meet their family members in a sure. full physical form in digital world, I think that could definitely help them ease that suffering. Exactly. Loneliness and also monotony because uh, they will have very little stimuli every day. And this is something that is able to destroy our mind, is able to reduce uh, our memory, uh, is able to reduce uh, our neurochemistry, which is able to support our creativity, our life and our motivation. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to support the motivation of astronauts and we need to support their sensorial abundance, their, their contact with the beloved ones. Mm -hmm. through virtual reality. Virtual reality is able not to solve the problem, but to reduce the problem. So there was a quite a, of an uptick in the interest in uh, AR, VR in the past two to three years. And mm -hmm. recently, there's definite halt in terms of the investments going into some of the VR companies. It's much more challenging to raise funding. What do you think in terms of the, the innovation curve? Are we steadily moving up in that? Or are we going to experience something that happened in, back in the 90s in the very early stage of VR? Do you believe that? we are able to continue this momentum? What, what, what needs to happen for this to be investable as a... Sure, sure. Um, ju just one very important information. Mm -hmm. um, there is one report, which is the Gartner report, which mm -hmm. is uh, analyzing all the hives in technology. And in, two t in 2018, so the, the last year, Gartner officially said virtual reality is not uh, a hype. So it, it, now it, it became uh, a major technology, an industry major technology, which is now just improving and improving and improving. We already over, overcame the, um, the hype of virtual reality and virtual reality is already an assessed technology that just needs to be improved in the different settings, in healthcare, in, in entertainment, in education, in industry, manufacturing. Mm 
Uh, now, this year, the hype is still uh, regarding the augmented reality. So there is uh, a lot of uncertainty about the hardware of augmented reality. Uh, augmented reality needs to, to improve, it needs uh, devices with a lower price, definitely. This is a challenge because now if you are thinking about augmented reality, you are thinking about the HoloLens, which is still costing thousands of dollars. We are going to, to experience the HoloLens too in, uh, in very few months. Uh, we are looking to Magic Leap, we are looking to new devices, but augmented reality is still improving. Virtual reality, the last year was very important because for several years since the new wave of virtual reality that started with the Oculus Rift in 2012, we saw a technology which is wired, a technology, an expensive technology, and now we have finally the standalone headset. This is a revolution, mm -hmm. a revolution that needs to be understood, but this year with new technologies like uh, the Oculus Quest, that is just converting the Oculus Rift to a mobile device, more or less, not exactly, but more or less. Uh, this will be a very revolutionary year for virtual reality, not as a hype, but as a major technology. So, so I, I think that you're referring to the Gartner's hype cycle of innovation. So mm -hmm. for those of you who are listening to this, you can um, go to Google and uh, type um, hype cycle innovation keyword, mm -hmm. and you can see this graph. And for m most innovative technologies go through this. And what um, Valentino is referring to is that initially when uh, new technology come out, you know, iPhones even went through the same thing. There is that huge mass media hype and initially people get very excited about it. And then when you hit the peak of inflated expectations, the negative press will start. And then people may doubt themselves, like it's called throw of disillusionment. Mm -hmm. And um, people start releasing the second generation products, which I believe that that's when the Oculus uh, Go came out. And it was much more improved version uh, in terms of the uh, portability for an experience and uh, price was right. And then people were, now we're going through the third generation products, uh, the next generation of VR, inside out tracking, and it will hopefully be priced better mm -hmm. as well. And um, price will continue to drop and quality will go up. We are definitely in that plateau of productivity. We are gonna continue to rise, but in a much more slower level of um, growth in terms of the innovation, I guess. When will we have that device that we all envision in terms of the quality level of an iPhone that got the mass adoption, where they were able to do a lot of the you know, actions like you know, the banking transactions and everything. Do you believe that the MR device of the future will be able to replace a phone, a smartphone? I think that they will coexist because, for example, today, smartphone coexists with computers. And for one reason, you use the computer for a specific kind of productivity. When you can sit down, you can work specifically on text, Excel, data, etc. So you need your, your computer just like your office. While you can localize your activities, some of your activities on your smartphone. So they, they, they will definitely coexist no? because you just work in different ways. 
And I think that in future, smartphones will coexist with immersive technologies because you can do specific things better on a smartphone and you can improve some activities with immersive technologies. They are not going to replace one each or one another and, and also computers will stay here. They are very important. Just like you can say even books will stay here because you work differently with different kinds of media and you need the different kind of uh, work activities. Yeah, that's a good point uh, that I believe that there are certain things that you uh, need a tactile um, device such as um, a phone where you mm -hmm. can touch and, um, but I know they say that they're gonna implement um, touch enabled, uh, like a glove that you can wear with a VR device that you can actually feel as you're interacting with objects in, in MR space. But if I were to type, maybe that precision will not be the best in the MR phase unless mm -hmm. you have some type of integrated hardware with like a keyboard-like hardware that will deliver that information. Of yeah, the you, know, you know, I don't know if it's only about the user experience. I want to just um, to inspire you an example. No? Uh, when I'm working, and I'm preparing, for example, a PowerPoint presentation. Okay, I'm not working only on the computer. First, uh, I'm just designing the slides and the, the, the key topics uh, on paper. Because on paper, there is a, a different experience. I can just process my ideas faster. I can just uh, experiment with my ideas. And I really need that physical uh, movement, no, my hand just creating ideas and materializing my idea. When I have a clear vision of all the presentation, I can use the computer to make it digital, to make it easy to be sent to anyone, can be shared, can be just modified by different users. So I think different media serves different needs. And the need is the core of the user experience, not just the, the single activities, the, the touch or the, the, the different interactions. For this reason, education will always rely also on speech, on voice, they, it, it will rely on books for specific activities, but some activities can be explored with the uh, augmented or even virtual reality. Different needs and different media, this is just my, <laughs> my point of view. That's a good point. It's not about um, hardware, what hardware is just uh, enabling the purpose-driven experience for users using the medium like whether it's an AR, VR device, the need of the computers, you know, whether it's a laptop or a PC and uh, iPhones. And in the far future, I can actually see that people may not really need a PC. It will be all just a device that they will, like. Most of the device, like a requirement for a hardware like GPUs, they're now all being cloud um, driven. Like people mm -hmm. are now able to do uh, pretty complex uh, machine learning projects and yeah. uh, using what's you know in the cloud. They don't necessarily need to pay for very expensive hardwares. Similarly, if you have a device with a 5G technology that is came out extremely improved data transfer um, speed uh, compared to what we have currently with 4G LTE. 
And uh, that will probably transform the way that, you know, we interact with some of these devices as well, because everything will be basically transferring the data. Like even your interactions, you know, you may not even need to download the software because the software is going to be in the yeah, cloud. Yeah, in the cloud, exactly. Your, your, all your interaction data will be just be calculated in, in the cloud. Just to, to, to say again another, another detail, I think that we are able to perform efficiently specific activities if we, if we uh, use uh, devices that are able to support how our brain is wired. So, for example, we are able to memorize specific things if we just add more emotional impact to what we are learning. So that's why, for example, virtual reality is so useful in education because you are not just listening something or just watching something, you are just living an experience. So you are able to memorize that thing better than, for example, reading a book. But when you are reading a book, uh, you are able to reconnect and, and easily connect different ideas in the same, in the same moment because you can just... Uh, change the pages of the book and you can you can travel from one idea to another so you can develop the emotional memory through virtual reality or you can develop the critical memory through the classical reading it will yeah. be very interesting how everything will change thanks to, to new you know, that's a really good uh, segue to discuss uh, AI and mm -hmm. how now most of our like knowledge base is now internet. So people actually they say that our memories capability is dropping, you know, ability yeah. to memorize because we are depending on our internet to basically tell us all the answers. So in the future, like even in terms of education, I have a feeling that we may not even need to quote unquote train people because the device will be able to basically tell you exactly what to do. If there's a fire, okay, you know, there's a warning sign, turn right, escape, or there is a little fire hydrant, turn right, and it will even exactly tell you what to do next uh, with the feedback that you get from these devices. Um, exactly. So our intelligence is kind of <laughs> being uploaded to the cloud. It's, it's going to change. It's going yeah. to change. Yeah. Mm. So, but it will expand our creativity, the mind. And, and, and what we want to achieve. So it will almost become very like abstract, desire-based. Yes, it's, it's, it's less operational and more uh, just thinking or creative beings. No, but, but it's, it's very challenging because we, we need to understand how our well-being will change based on this because we need to do. We need to... Uh, a, a very important part of our brain is planning activity is dedicated to planning activities mm -hmm. is dedicated to planning our reactions so if this part of our brain will not be stimulated by, by society because everything will be done by robots or, or AIs mm -hmm. so how human beings will change how the brain will change maybe it will not change in a few decades but we can start thinking about this yeah, I mean, I mean, with the Neuralink uh, that Elon Musk is exactly. invested in, basically, I am just now experiencing this kind of stutter. Like, I'm trying to explain to you what I'm thinking, but I'm having some language barrier to be able to explain and articulate. Mm -hmm. But with that kind of technology, the AI will like be able to articulate it for me, and you will know exactly what I'm trying to say. 
And at that point, like the process of the communication will ex exponentially faster with the tools that if it enables us to be able to like organically just generate very complex problem solving element. Like, and mm -hmm. if there is a, an AI uh, tools that will enable us to do that, the world will be pretty awesome. <laughs> but at the same time, I have a feeling that like our language will even change. Like the way exactly. uh, we talk exactly. to each other, it will just... You know, um, the, the, there is a theory that is saying that we are based on the amount of the words that we are using to express ourselves. The, the more complex is the, the, the amount of these words, the more complex are also the ideas that we are able to generate with our minds. So just imagine a world where we use very few words because we just express everything emotionally to, to each, each one, for example, using Neuralink because it's a sort of telepathy, <laughs> digital telepathy. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, uh, there are great opportunities, but we are not able to evaluate the, um, the issues because we are not completely aware of what is the impact of how we work on our mind and our well-being. This will be challenging. We will be challenged by um, all our values just decaying or changing, all our references changing. And the, the, the great treat is feeling without a, without a reference point. So I, I fear a humanity without a reference point and maybe delegating this reference point to technology. Uh, this could be a, a great challenge. Let's see, let's see. What do you mean by reference point? A reference point is, for example, our culture, which can be obviously not perfect. It has specific limits, but also great opportunities. Our culture, our society, how we approach life is a reference point. And for example, we feel that humanity is, uh, has a specific place. We feel that uh, our planet has a specific place in, in everything. And just imagine in future, all technologies in future will just change these values will change how we believe humans because we are changing our genes, our DNA, mm -hmm. and we're just editing our DNA. We're not just passive elements of evolution. Mm -hmm. We are going the deep space and exploring maybe new worlds. So the, the earth will become one of a lot of different worlds. So how humanity will behave without all these reference points? It mm -hmm. can improve, but it can, it can also uh, decay. Who knows? Let's see. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that our current technology is going to exponentially change. And when our culture and our politics and our being change so fast in, within generations that can't totally understand, understand. And, and learn and absorb and accept those changes exactly. fast enough, there can be great conflict that can happen. Um, exactly. Well, among the uh, global uh, uh, view, uh, with countries that don't have access to those different approaches, and it's going to really create a huge gap. And I believe, like the technology, if it was to, if it's going to get to that point, like it needs to be adopted, like almost like, with reservation, and to kind of help speed up the those countries that are maybe behind in terms of technology with infrastructure that can enable those technologies. Exactly. Uh, 
So we are here today also to speak about how future is awesome. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it to, um, it's not just about the future that it's awesome. We need to make it awesome. So we need to be able to, to process this future. J just imagine uh, when you are experiencing a trauma, a trauma is a sequence of sudden events that are too much for your brain. No? And sometimes you can develop, for example, the post-traumatic stress disorder, the PTSD. Mm -hmm. So just imagine all these technologies coming so fast that they are too much for our brain. Mm -hmm. So let's not build a society that is experiencing a post-traumatic stress disorder coming from technology. No, we need to have the time to process all these informations and to process these changes, to understand. Because if not, we are not going to play an active role, but a passive role in future. Absolutely. And that's a uh, absolutely great point to make and to wrap up uh, today's podcast. Thank you so much, Valentino. And I Thank look you. forward to visiting you someday in beautiful <laughs> Italy. And uh, you promised me that you're going to help me tour around. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Italy is waiting. <laughs> At the moment, I'm in Pescara, which is not so far from Rome. It's two hours from Rome. Okay. And if uh, our listeners want to learn more about your company or um, you, how do they get in touch with you? So you can find me, Valentino Megale, on LinkedIn, first of all. Or you can visit our site about our project. is uh, www.tomigame.com. And game. O-M-M-I. I. Game. Exactly. Yeah. Game.com. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, Valentino. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. All my pleasure.